Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tiger fans, get ready for episode 84 of the official Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast, bringing you all the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding your mighty JSU Tigers. I am the Corey C. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to be notified of every new episode. Apple Podcast users, rate and review the show, and everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Twitter. It all helps the cause, which is the I love, Jackson State University. Hosting the show with me today is Charles Bishop. How's it going, Chuck? How you doing, D. Corey Nice to be back on for another episode with your brother. No doubt about it, man. Another Saturday. We're entering November, so that can only mean one thing. It's that tough November stretch that we usually have each year. It's a bunch of close games that decide these games usually decide who comes out of the east i know a few years it's, it's been a play here or a play there that has made the difference man well you you know where uh, anytime you get toward november this is when you kind of separate uh the, the pretenders and the contenders and and uh, i tell you what uh november is always fun and a swag because every game means that much more and no doubt about it jackson state uh this guest that we have on uh i tell you what they, they were right in the thick of things in that November. Absolutely. 2007 was no different than any other year going into November. Big road game early in the month that had huge championship game implications. And you said that, that special guest, he played a huge role in that game. He is a 2007 SWAC championship game defensive MVP. He is a 2008 first team all SWAC selection, and he is a retired NFL veteran. Of course, we're talking about Dominique Johnson. Welcome to the show. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Well, welcome in, buddy. Man, hey, it's, it's nice to always talk some football. <laughs> Absolutely. I know football has been a huge part of your life, and we want to get into all that. We're going to take it back to your younger days and, and, and bring the audience up to speed with what you're doing today as well. But but let's let's rewind. Let's go back to that game that we just spoke of. It was November 3rd, 2007. As I said, a big game on the road. Huntsville, Alabama, always a tough place to play. Uh, those Alabama A&M Bulldogs, always a, a tough matchup. And uh, this particular game was to determine who will represent the SWAC East in the championship game. And going into the game, uh, you guys were 6-3 and three overall, 6-1 and one in the SWAC. Alabama A&M, they were 7-2. and two. They were 5-2 and two in the SWAC, so pretty uh, evenly matched, uh, two evenly matched opponents. High-scoring, back-and-forth game that you guys pulled out in overtime, 43-40. to 40. So what are some of your recollections of that day? Man, I actually have watched that game several times. Uh, and when 
when I agreed to do this podcast, I was able to find a link on YouTube and I rewatched the whole game. <laughs> uh, so I have a real good recollection of the game now. But uh, we, it, it was a good game. We both were tied at uh, five and one. It was pretty much going to determine who was going to the swag championship regardless. So we, uh, whoever would win would be able to have the tiebreaker. And they came out on us. They jumped out on us fast. They went to a 13-0 lead. We ended up bringing it back, getting it in close. I, I actually gave up a big play. We ended up, what, 19-8 at halftime. Mm-hmm. And then the Jimmy Oliver show, the third quarter, we, we went from 19-8 to eight to 30-19. to 19. Like he just Jimmy just took over and did what he do what he does. Uh, but you know, they had they made some good defensive plays. They was able to return a, a fumble by Jimmy and to tie the game up and end up taking the lead. We had the score with minutes to go with Edward Lee. The score with minutes to go and just to get in overtime. It was it was a fun game. Yeah, it was. I, I'll never forget, man. I was at a wedding reception and everybody was listening to it on the radio. <laughs> and you talk about a fun game, but you know, you know what? We take a look at that game. Uh, you know, you guys defensive unit, you came in as the number one ranked defense in the conference, uh, but you were up against the number one offense in the conference at the time. They had a guy, Kelsey Luke, uh, Ulysses Banks was a, another big time player for Alabama and but, but what was your mindset going into the game against an opponent that can be so explosive? Well, what's what's crazy about that year is if I don't know many people recall we lost we opened the year up losing to D two school and losing to Delta State. Mm-hmm. So so we opened the year up on a down route and we ended up winning some game losing some games and then earlier in the year in SWAC when our one loss that year we we lost to Prairie View in in Prairie View and what was so significant about that game is. You know, when they say you're building a team, sometimes teams go through conflict. Well, after that game, that week, the defense ourselves were fighting each other. And I'm talking about a literal fight. And this is inside information. But we were fighting in the in the weight room to where the coaches had to break us up. It was the defensive line versus the secondary. It was us against them. Like, y'all, y'all didn't get to the quarterback. And y'all giving up in D line were like y'all giving up big plays. Mm. So so that conflict though, I think, brought us together. So when we would enter the game like that, we had confidence in each other that we was gonna do our job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that would happen. Sometimes that that, that those, those sorts of things kind of bring the team together, huh? Yeah, I mean it's it it worked in now now I'm a a coach and now that I've worked in different careers it works on building teams in almost every career mm. you go through a, a little fighting back with each other before you start to jail with each other and that's just sometimes that's how you build trust I got you wow great recollection uh, great insight insight on on how you know how that went down and how you guys jailed together and came together after that but let's take a look at that defense we had you know number of guys but just to name a few Marcella speaks. Marcus Bernard, and, and, of course, the late Daniel Brooks. So what made the 2007 version of the dark side defense so special? We we had – well, we were blessed with transfers. That's one thing I'll, I don't think anyone can ever take away from Kamaji. He was able to get guys to come and play from for him from D, major D1 schools. I was a Power 5 transfer myself. But we had Brooks out of Tennessee. We had 
the Bros Hedgeman out of Notre Dame, me came from Missouri, and Chloe Clark came from Mississippi State. We had a bunch of different guys, but Speaks was like having a coach on the field. Mm. Speaks and we call Coach Comedy Big Coach. Speaks and Big Coach literally sat down all the time and watched film together. So everything that Big Coach wanted to do, Speaks already knew. Mm -hmm. So he took he he made a lot of those adjustments for us. And we didn't have to worry about it. We knew if, if we didn't know something, Speaks knew it and he got a, a line right to make it happen. It was nice to be in that type of situation because we had the pass rush up front and it made our job easy at the back. But I mean, it's, it's other, it, those were some of the bigger names, but you had guys like Willie Williams. We call him two seven. Me, Willie worked together. So we, we built a, a thing that I didn't want to be on the left side if Willie wasn't on the left side. So I was like two seven, come over here or two seven. We'll go to the other side. Hey, DJ, we over here. And you know, when you start building them bonds and them relationships, I mean, it, it's great. It was great. It was great to see him. I went what a couple years ago and got to see him again for the the ten year reunion of that, and it was it was awesome. Now that's awesome here. And speaks definitively was definitely like having another coach on the field. So uh, you mentioning that name, I just bring, brings back a flood of memories in terms of uh, his leadership style and, and that defense uh, as a whole. Uh, you guys really uh, seemed to bond, and it, it, I don't know. It kind of took a turn for the better, like in the latter part of the year, you guys really started to come on. Exactly. That that conflict, that conflict after that Prairie View game when we had D-linemen fighting secondary people, and, and that ain't always pretty, mm -hmm. but, you know, that we were fighting in the weight room because everyone wanted to win, and every individual section, the front end, the D-linemen, the linebackers, the secondary, mm -hmm. was all like their own family. So at the times when your family, it's the same as just saying Jackson State versus Alcorn. Whenever Jackson State is enrolled in a, a fight or a conflict with Alcorn, everybody from Jackson State is riding with Jackson State. The way that scenario worked, everyone, all the D linemen was like, we, they was like blood brothers. Mm. Like, you're not, you're not going to say nothing to one of us without dealing with all of us. Right. And that conflict, it ended up happening, but it it built us up. No, nope. I felt like it brought it brought us together into where you know if we can get down versus each other, we ought to be able to get down versus everybody else with no question asked. And I think that's honestly, I think that's the turning point in what that defense became. Man, that's awesome stuff. That's awesome stuff. Now, I mean, let, let's get into your background a little bit and how you got to Jackson State. Now, uh, you prepped at Lamar High, which is you know part of that Gulf Freeway corridor of great football. I mean, when you start looking at that Gulf Freeway corridor, you're talking about Lamar, Texas City, uh, Dickinson, Galveston Ball. I mean, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that area in terms of, of, of just uh, the type of football that you guys play down in, in that area. Man, I, I grew up watching Lamar play Texas City where the tickets sold out on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. it, was standing, it was standing room only in 1997. Both and Lamar and Tech City were in the same district. Lamar beat uh, Tech City that year, but they both won state championships in 4A. Uh, Ball High, Ball High has one of the highest rates of putting NFLers in the uh, period, for, especially for a small town like that. You have the great Corey Hamptons out of Ball High. You have different guys like Patrice Alexander played a few years. Tim Didn't played a few years. 
I mean, you got the Popes, the Rashawn Popes, them them guys that came out and one of them played at Alabama. But they're all coming out of ball high. And then, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a very big tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mark, the school I graduated from, was they're one of the perennial powers. They're having a few down years right now. But, I, I you know, when the hurricanes and stuff hit, if, if you're in Texas or keeping up with Texas football, that area is, is down right now. Yeah. I'm working at Dickinson. And it seems, and they call us the Lamarck of the North because it seems like all the kids from that that area, instead of staying home traditionally, they're coming to Dickinson, sure. which which is a good thing. But you know, we're still trying to turn the corner, and we're still trying to get some of that perennial talent that we had. But where I'm from, you don't stay in those towns. You get a little money by working in the refineries. And then you move to League City, Dickinson, or Houston. You don't stay down there no more. Mm-hmm. And that's what's been happening. That's very interesting. Very interesting point you make. And, and you mentioned, you, you touched on, you know, at one point, Galveston Ball probably had more NFL players than any other uh, U.S. high school. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask, you know, what is it about the football that's played down there that really prepares you guys for college? Because it's a gritty uh, hard-nosed sort of football that you guys play in that little area outside of Houston down in that Gulf Freeway corridor? I, uh, man, I think it's just really just being, I'm just going to sleep blatantly and um, watch my words when I use it. It's a bunch of kids from that see sports as their only way out. Mm. It's a bunch of kids. I, I was one of them kids. Grew up on Section 8. Uh, our first college graduate you know first generation graduate out of my family i was the first i'm definitely the first one to leave galveston county when i left and went to missouri but it's, it was a lot of kids like that like if you notice just working in the school system now like i do a lot of them schools are giving free and reduced lunch to all of their students because that's the type of backgrounds that are still there mm. and and a lot of them kids grow grow up knowing i gotta either get out this way or get out through school sure. So I think that's the that's the reason why, especially during that era before me and then right around my time, where every, everyone was just help, like kind of hell built on, let's get out of here playing ball. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that contributes to a lot of it. Was, it's, it was a way out for a lot of us. I see. Good point. Interesting. Great story, man. And that's exactly what you did. You know, you said you went on to play football and scholarship. You signed with Missouri out of high school, but ultimately transferred to Jackson State for your final two collegiate seasons. But when you were looking for a new home and when transferring, what attracted you, what attracted you to Jackson State? Man, this is a, it's a true but very, very funny story. <laughs> to be honest, I was going to go to Tennessee State. Wow. I, I had my mind set to go to Tennessee State. Mm. The, uh, they had Dominic Rogers Kamadi there on one side. He was getting NFL looks. He ended up being the first rounder. They had an NFLer that was that played corner, and and uh, named Randy Fuller played for the Steelers. Got a, a Super Bowl ring and everything. He was the corners coach. I was like, man, this is the place for me to be. Mm-hmm. And then the recruiting coach, the coach that I had, was like, uh, you know, you can come to Tennessee State and be the next Dominic Rogers Kamadi. I was like. I don't want to be the next. I want to be myself. Wow. So that really kind of opened my eyes to other things. And then I came up. So I got to looking and I was like, okay, I know I want to go to HBCU. I had already did the uh, the PWI. And I got to look at the different places. And I was like, I'm not going to Texas because it would be too close for me to go home. And if I go home, I may not stay in school. So that's why I chose not to go to any Texas school and chose not to go to Louisiana. 
So I said that Baton Rouge is way too close. Mm. Grambling was still too close. Mm. So, you know, I, I kind of made those decisions. Like, let me put myself somewhere where I can still play at home and my mom and them can see me, but I don't have to a chance to go home and not be able to uh, leave and come back. So I ended up picking Jackson State, but it's, it's funny. And I'm just going to be honest. Daniel Brooks was my host. He took me out to Terry. We was in Terry. We had, we ate. <laughs> We was in Terry. We had a big bonfire going. Had some people out there. We was enjoying ourselves, and he was like, "Come on, we going out." And just and being out, he took me to free lunch, and I walked in free lunch, and I and I had never seen that many black people having a good time without it being no drama. And I committed to going to Jackson State in free lunch. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> Wow, that's, that's great stuff. That's, that's great stuff. I, 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 I can believe that though. From yeah. going to free lives myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that's a, that's a that's a true story. I told him that sitting in a section, like, yeah, I'm gonna be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so I, I know some of our recruiting coordinators listen to the show, so you're getting some some inside info on kind of what it takes to get. <laughs> I guess you kind of answered this question. I mean, in terms of uh, you, you said that you kind of had in your mind, you were looking at an HBCU and, uh, you know, Tennessee State, of course, came up. But did you know much about Jackson State uh, or the or the SWAC or did you, you know, have any sort of uh, inkling uh, that the SWAC would be what it was? Uh no man. So the leading up to the reason I transferred, I I played. I ended up playing. I was like, you did. And my yeah, my <laughs> position coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my position coach was he knew what I was doing because he was friends with one of the old heads that was making me. But he, they told me straight up, if the head coach find out about it at Missouri, it's gonna be an issue. Well, I did what I was doing anyway, and I felt like that it shouldn't be an issue. And the head coach gave me a choice. You either don't finish doing what you're doing or you be a, a fraternity member full time. And I told him that I was going to go somewhere I can do both. So I got to looking somewhere that, and I felt I didn't want to have to encounter that issue with me wanting to be in a fraternity and there being an issue with football. So I started looking into the South for sure. Like, okay, let me look into the South and find me a black school or something that I can deal with. And then I knew of the SWAC mm-hmm. because I know how sorry Texas Southern is. <laughs> and I'm not going to hold that back. And I knew I didn't want to go to Texas Southern or PV. But the part of the reason I chose Missouri was they was in the Big 12. And you had Texas A&M, Baylor, and Texas in the Big 12. So I was like, my mama, I can't afford to get my mama on this flight to come to Missouri. But I may be able to get her to get uh have my dad or somebody bring her to austin somebody bring her to college station to get to watch me play so i said that was that was a big thing i wanted to do i was, I was going to pick a school to where i could play versus another school in texas so that's when i kind of settled on a swag and again it was more of a distance factor anywhere that i could have got home close i probably would have stayed I see. so i picked a school that i couldn't i couldn't just jump up and go home hmm. Hmm, that's interesting stuff there. And, and you know, I, I guess the question comes up, you know, was there going from Missouri to Jackson State, was there any sort of culture shock? I know you mentioned <laughs> being in freelance, but, you know, there was another Lamar guy, Larry Curlby. Uh, he went from uh, University of Houston to Grambling. 
And uh, one of the things that I, you know, I've listened to him uh, talk about was uh, the competition or, or the quality of the competition uh, in the SWAC was uh, quite high. And that kind of uh, took him by surprise, especially from a skill position uh, standpoint. But what was your uh, sort of take on that? From a, from a playing on the field standpoint, yes, the, it, it was different as far as the D-line play. That's the big difference between HBCU and Power 5 schools. It's, the, it's in the trenches. The D-linemen look different. Six, 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 four, 300 pounds don't look the same at uh, Texas A&M that it would look at a Jackson State, if you get what I mean. Mm. But what I did enjoy was the quality of the athletes. Like uh, you have, I believe the name is Chauncey Spiller. Spiller that was at Alcorn. Charlie Spiller. Was, oh, is, yeah, uh, Charlie Spiller. Charlie Spiller. Charlie Spiller. Charlie Spiller is a hell of an athlete. And I knew, and he, he told me to come up. He, he'd be like, come get on this line. I'm like, bro, I'm not going to try and press you and be in this foot race all day. <laughs> so I'm going to play over top. And do that, and and I think the difference in and I don't know his situation, so I'm not using him specifically, but I think the difference in is what kids are doing in school. Like I, I never had an issue with schoolwork, so I qualified quite easily. So the athletes is the same, but is the quality of work you're doing in school is that equaling out to be the same? I think that Charlie could have played at a big. D1 school and I'm not and I don't know his grades or how school was for him but I know it's a situation where there's a lot of athletes that could have went and has the talent to play at a bigger school but didn't do the grade works and do didn't do the groundwork early on in high school in order to qualify to go so you know and that comes down to the biggest factor that was really the biggest difference between any of them some of them we did some of the groundwork so we can go to a D1 but the talent level at the skill especially the receiver spots was the same. I, quite frankly, I think I've seen some better athletes at the HBCU. Wow. Wow. Interesting stuff. Hmm. And, and we, we've heard that before. I mean, we, yeah. we've definitely heard that from others. And, and that, that's what it is, is that you don't see the, the big name quarterbacks. But I mean, I, I can tell you this, if I, if I wasn't a football coach, and this is the one game I probably never miss if I didn't have to coach football. Southern versus Jackson State. Mm-hmm. I will never miss that game because I, I told I was telling someone I said that's the only game that where I realized, man, the bands play all day. <laughs> and you actually you actually hear the band like when we're on us when you're in the game you you generally don't hear the crowd, but when you hear the bands going at each other the whole game. I was like, man, this is that's just the the best atmosphere ever. Wow, that's awesome stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. Now, once you got settled in at Jackson State and even in Mississippi, what was it like for you? Just the student life, and, and of course, playing in the swag as well. Man, I I wasn't one of the people that was on the yard or none of that, and I I think that's probably the only thing I missed out on at Jackson State. I I came there like I'm on a mission. I got three semesters here. I'm going to play my last two years, and then I'm trying to chase this NFL dream. So I didn't really hang around on the yard. Uh, I was basically fending for myself. I came down, got an apartment, which probably wasn't the smartest thing. But, you know, when you're 21, you think you've grown, you're going to make it happen. It's amazing how 
I can make forty dollars last for forever, but can't make it make last one day now. <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> That's funny, huh? it's just tremendous. It's tremendous uh, what you can do, man. I, I I was never the person that had to do all that standing in line, obviously, because I was on a, a, a scholarship. But I, I remember the Tiger card and all the places you can use your card to go to. Like that's the only places I think I ate at the whole time. Cause I, that's one thing. That's another difference. I wasn't prepared to have to wait till mid October till you couldn't drop the class no more <laughs> before you get your refund. I was not. That was lost. <laughs> I was lost upon me. <laughs> oh oh yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the Southern game. Uh, what what were your your most memorable games or rivalries uh, while you were at Jackson State? And like I said, you you really had mentioned just the atmosphere of the Southern game. I mean, could you you know just talk about you know playing in that game and just uh, the the whole environment and atmosphere of Jackson State v Southern? I had so I had what two games versus Southern. Mm-hmm. Two two thousand seven, the year we won swag. I had a r- real good game. We was down there, and we call it Beirut and Baton Rouge. We was in Baton Rouge. They were they the bands was jamming, and we won the game. And it was you know we did to go home. It was it was just great to be there. Then in two thousand and eight, I didn't have such a good first half of that game. That ain't the game I, I really like to talk about, but. It's the it's the story of it. If when you're playing there and you're in a small school, and I know we're gonna to get to this stuff, but we're at a small school, any NFL guy that come through, everyone knows who they coming from. So every time an NFL got scout pulled up, I was leaving class. Oh, so and so is here for you, so and so is here for you for you. Uh, NFL scouts, I'm meeting with them one on one and they're saying we wanna see you do X, Y, and Z. So going into that Southern game, I hadn't had many people throw throw at me. I was a preseason All American and highly ranked. That uh, they had a real good receiver there, and the very first play of the game, they threw a fade, and I thought I intercepted it. They called me out of bounds. I told the receiver, "You cooked. You done. He not throwing it for, to you no more." The very next play, he had hit me for like a sixty yard bomb. Mm. <laughs> So you know, you know, it was it was one of them experiences. I had a very bad half, but then turned around and had a a good second half when I stopped trying to do what I needed to do to get to the league and just started to do what I needed to do to be successful on the mm-hmm. field. But you know, the experiences besides the, that in the SWAC championship game, I mean, those experiences that I had there is some of my biggest life lessons on how to deal with adversity how to how to struggle like my first semester there i worked at the coca-cola factory at night and then woke up at well left there at six o'clock and went to uh workouts and slept during the day mm-hmm. that's that was what i was doing because i had got that apartment and i hadn't and i wasn't in school that summer but i was there working mm-hmm. out i mean but that's where i built some of my biggest bonds and relationships like i'm cool with keith camp mm-hmm. and you know labros hedgeman labros and this is, I'm not afraid to say, LeBron's family kind of took care of me that summer I, I first got mm-hmm. there. You know, and and that's some of the things that you you go on and cherish in life. Right. And some of the lessons that you like, you you was able to fight through and get through it now. And it, I wouldn't be able to get through that today, obviously, because I got kids. But being a single 21-year-old young man, just living life, having mm-hmm. fun, it, it was a great atmosphere, man. I 
I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Awesome. Awesome That's stuff. Tremendous yeah. insight, Dominic. Good yeah. stuff, man. And then you've uh, talked about your, your NFL aspirations, uh, you know, throughout this show. And you were fortunate enough to go on to play in the NFL. Uh, some believe that the HBCU athletes are at a disadvantage in terms of their chances of going pro. So what would you say to that? And what are some of the reasons you were able to make it? Issue will not issue, but first thing first, if you can play, they will find you. That's that's the, the whole model. If you can play, they will find you. But you have to understand you got to go in there with a chip on your shoulder because Jackson, just being honest, Jackson State and Florida State are not looked at at the same in the same eye of the beholders. You know, they, they feel that the talent is different or your level of talent that you played is different. So you have to you have to go in and understand that everything I do has to be on point when it's time to go. What I mean by that is, and I'm going to use the example, and me and Alfonso talked to this day. I was I went out ranked number five. Alfonso was ranked number one as far as corners, but he played at Wake Forest. I played at Jackson State. Our combine numbers were very, very similar. But because he played against more recognizable or higher talent, it was easier for them to gauge what his NFL talent was opposed to what they felt mine was. Mm. So, and, you know, you hate to admit it, but that's that's what it is. After, after the first, second, and maybe the third round, them people guess it. Hmm. Right. They know who they know who the first round is all what they want. They know kind of who the second round is all, and even then, in the second round, people reach. They may take a chance on. I'm trying to find the next this person. I'm trying to find the next that. After the third round, they're, they're still kind of reaching. But the fourth through the seventh round, them people are guessing. Mm. They use they got they they use the analytics. They're trying to say, ooh, this. They looking at. They may pick you off for one play. Or this one play, he ran past seven people. Or they go, they pick you off a of size. Oh, okay, this kid, six foot two, he ran a four three forty. I'm drafting him. You know, it is, and that's just being honest. That after a certain round, they they're guessing, they're taking chances on people, and I went undrafted, and I and I'm just been I played longer. I was able to vest when I know guys that was drafted in the second round who didn't get past year mm-hmm. three. So, you know, the HBC route. It can happen. You can be a first round to go in out there and play a ton of years, but you could be a Shannon Sharp. A lot of people don't know that he was the HBCU guy, even though he said, tells them all the mm-hmm. time, undrafted, Hall of Famer. Then you have the, the Jerry Rice's. He was he was drafted, but you know you got Jerry that made it. You got Walter Payton. You got we got four Hall of Famers out of Jackson right. State. But back when they played, they couldn't go to the Alabamas the the texas those type of schools so all of them had to come this route so you know it, it's, it's nothing to look in the nfl books and see teams full of hbcu players swag players at you that know, I, I mean the honest question and it's kind of following up on on what you were saying uh do you feel like you would have had the same opportunity had you gone to jackson state straight out of high school as opposed to getting a couple of years at a big 12 school I feel like that put me above some of the other HBCU cats. I do. I, I, I do feel like 
that that's part of the reason I had some of the hype is because they like, well, he had the talent to go D1 already. So, you know, what is this? But then you have other examples of, of cats like Dominic Rogers Kramati, who's a 12 year NFL vet. He's a first round pick. He went to Tennessee State straight out of high school, out of Florida. You know what I mean? The, if the talent's there, you will be found. But I do feel that. Um, let me see how to, the word it. I'm not even going to try and word it funny. I do feel that they look at the HBCU like they're trying to find the next hidden hidden mm. gem. And so they, they invite they invite a lot of people. Like, I'll be the first to admit, not only is that the case, but I got my NFL, uh, my senior bowl combine because they was like, they called me the poor man's Roger Kamadi. That's what my profile said. He's the poor man's Dominic Roger mm. Kamadi. And you, you you hate for it to be that way because you want to make it in on your own merit, but we have to ride with being honest coming out of that type of environment. You got to kind of ride each other's sure. coattails and ride sure. a wise high. Sure, it makes makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Let me uh, ask you about your your NFL playing days, Dominic. Uh, you know what was that experience like, and, and and who were some of you know your noteworthy teammates? Yeah, and like you said, you're vested uh, from playing in the NFL. Uh, but just talk a little bit about your playing days. Man, uh, I was blessed my first few my first few years in. I got to be around a lot of a lot of Hall of Famers. Um, when I first went to Denver, I was I walked into the room that had Brian Dawkins and Champ wow. Bailey in it. Then middle of the year, they brought in Ty Law. So right there in that room was was three Hall mm-hmm. of Famers. You know, coming out of school, that's like that's the greatest thing that you can you can ever see. But what I what I quickly realized is is the undrafted player is the, the equivalent of a walk on in college. The undrafted player has to do everything. He has to play his position that he naturally plays. Mine was DB. I had to play corner. I had to go over and play scout team receiver. I had to play every special teams in practice. Otherwise you lessening your chances of making it. it it was it was easy for me to come in as a rookie and sit back if i chose to and i probably not have ever made it past it because they brought in they drafted alfonso in the second round and then they brought in me and another guy tony carter who is coaching for the detroit lions now as a, a corner they brought us all in as corners the same year in 09. tony went to florida state I went to Jackson State. Uh, Alfonso was a second-round pick, so he was already made. But Alfonso got away with not having to do a lot of stuff. Me and Tony had to do a lot of mm. stuff. You know, it was, it was never no sitting down for us. It was, you're going to do all this extra work. You're going to do all that stuff in practice. And you're going to do it well. And then on my off days, I would show up to do extra work just because I always wanted them to see me working. And then you have to try and build a, a positive image of yourself so everything that was going on in the community by the broncos i did it anything that they wanted like they're gonna have kids over here doing this i showed up to all those community events because that's just part of being a professional athlete that's part of showing that you want to be with that organization now had i had millions guaranteed i wouldn't have had to do it but since but since i signed on the dotted line for ten thousand, which was thirty three hundred after taxes, I ain't had no choice but to keep doing it. 
I totally understand. I totally understand. And, and when, you reference, when you reference Alfonso, you're talking about Alfonso Smith, uh, the guy who set the ACC record with 21 career interceptions. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sure thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Great stories, man. Definitely. This is this has been awesome. Uh, before we let you go, though, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. It's the, it's the thing that's actually being talked about around the country, and you being an alumnus of Jackson State, and I, me following you on social media, I know you've been pretty excited about it. We are talking about the hiring of Coach Prime. So just kind of walk me through your thoughts on that. And beginning with when the speculation was out there, did you believe it? And, and how did you feel when it came true? Initially, so um, this is some more inside okay. stuff. Initially, initially, when I heard it, I ain't believe it, but I called, I called some people. I know some people. So I had been having someone keep me abreast of what was going on. So I heard when he when he was there, and I was like, "Man, if if we get him, it's gonna be a big move." But how are we gonna pay for him? <laughs> the million dollar question. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, how are we gonna pay for him? So I I was, you know, I however we did, we worked it out. But I, I I understood the the power it has in having a man of that statue be at Jackson State. Like it it was already showing immediately once you hired him. All the different media outlets that started covering it, all the publicity Jackson State got and started getting. I mean, it was it's great for the it's great for Jackson State. The way that they're gonna be shown, the publicity they're gonna get out of it. I just hope and pray that he stays, at least through his contract, at least stays through his contract and he's able to be successful because everyone's especially in the SWAC. Everyone is looking for him not to be successful. They're literally to say, the Jackson State, y'all paid all that money for nothing. Y'all got all this fame for nothing. But I, I truly believe having met Dion several times and having seen how he is, because I, I referee in Texas too, 707, and Dion's son plays 707, and Dion is the offensive coordinator of that 707 team. So that, that Coach Prime, that swag that everyone is seeing, that's his persona. That's him all day. Mm-hmm. That's how he. That's how he is. He's at seven on seven with his chains on, with his shades on, calling plays. But he's not there signing autographs, trying to be the life of the show. He has his iPad in and he's coaching. That's, that's he's coaching. Yeah. I mean, he he's truly involved in the coaching scheme. He's coaching everyone, good and bad. He's talking. And obviously, when kids see Dion. And I've been on the field as a rep. But they kids see him and they do something against him. They start talking crap to him, and you know, and he's coaching them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he he's he he's coaching everybody, mm-hmm. and that that's his demeanor. And and to to man, I have a son that I got I have in high school, and I and I'm telling you, I've asked Dion straight up, like, how are you doing it? How are you doing this coaching your son? Because I coach my mm-hmm. son, and it's hard to it's hard to take home to split the difference between home and football like we we can get into it on the football field and sometimes it can leak into the household mm. so I, I i asked him straight up how have you been able to do this okay and he gave me some great advice that i'm I'm actually working on and trying to and put in implement in place but i, I think it's a great hire I, i'll be honest i didn't like all the publicity of all the big names as coaching staffs because just because you have a name don't mean you can coach Sure, sure. You know what I mean? All the best players in the world don't mean they're good mm-hmm. teachers. 
some of the best teachers is guys that have never played the game. And I think, and just being honest, I think where Jackson State has faltered at in years, and and it started with Comedy. This is one of his issues I had. He was able to get so many of us transfers in that could play immediately, but he never developed. And whoever comes into Jackson State, in order for them to be successful a long time, we got to start developing kids instead of always bringing in transfers. But do I think that we may have to bring in some guys early to help? To help so it won't be so inexperienced? Yes. But eventually, I don't. I want them to be able to get you out of high school, develop you, and turn you into that, that byproduct that's going to go to the sure, NFL. Sure. Understandable. Uh, Dominic, I'm going to ask you this question. What do you think uh, having Coach Prime at Jackson State will do for Jackson State's recruiting efforts? He has the name. Man, just, just being honest, he has the, the name that he come in your house, your mama a fan, your daddy's a fan, your aunties and uncles are a fan. Hey, especially my generation, we were fans. That's that's gonna bring a lot of recruits in. The I think he's gonna be able to get some people that's gonna trust in him, that's gonna come and try, but what what is going to have to be they're going to have to be accepting and this is going to be the fallback they're going they're getting they're seeing glitter and gold when they go see these other schools they're getting picked up they're getting fed this filet mignon they're getting they're getting a a, a a1 recruiting experience where sometimes you you go to a smaller school and they're not able to do all of the a1 stuff but i think his his name is going to bring an influx of money and opportunities for him to in, to improve the recruiting aspect of what's happening down there. Okay. Now, obviously kids, kids are sold on uniforms. I'm just being honest. My, my son loves Oregon because of their uniforms. He don't know nothing about their facilities, <laughs> but he loves Oregon over the uniforms. But you have some kids that, that pick schools over facilities. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just going to be honest. I picked school, over it was a it was a power 12 school i was like i can go to a conference usa school because i got in the rice i got in louisiana lafayette i can go one of them schools or i can go to a p5 school mm-hmm. and play and be on tv all the time so p- different kids pick school for different reasons and a lot of kids aren't going to be picking school just being honest to go to school a lot of kids aren't picking a lot of football players aren't picking school because you have a good journalism program, you have a good engineering program, you have a good any of that. They're picking school off uniforms, off their friends are going, off a whole different line of things. And I think his his name is going to bring some people there, but ultimately what he does. And I, I can't wait to see him put a good team out and we go pop a, a power five school. Because hmm. that's what's really going to bring the kids there. And I think it's going to take it's going to take a couple of years but i think prime is going to get it turned around i i understand his commitment of what he's doing right now with his son in texas i don't i would take that from away from no man but i you know i like for the whole staff to already be there mm-hmm. all right well hey we, we appreciate this this has been an amazing interview uh we love the honesty you're brutally honest you're transparent and then i know the listeners are going to enjoy Hearing Very refreshing. Yeah. what you're up to or what you've been up to, but 
Uh, go ahead and let them know what you are currently up to. Well, I'm currently a high school teacher and secondary coach at Dickinson, Texas. We're at, and y'all are actually, Dex State's actually recruiting one of my tight ends. Okay. Okay. So uh, that's what I'm, he's the number one tight end in the uh, class of 2022. Wow. So, so the, he got his offer. I, I so every time I see him, I'll be like, man, you, you going to set prime offer? You going to set prime offer? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, no, no, no pressure to green. I'm, I'm not trying to steer him, his recruiting right. process in no way. He's, he's a, he's a grown man. He's already narrowed down his six, but I'm going to keep throwing the name out there. But, uh, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, and I'm doing, I chose to do that because I felt like a bunch of, a bunch of kids from my area is getting lost in the system. Mm. And they don't and they don't understand it because they're all hyped up during little league football, but then they get the high school ball and and see something different. And they don't and they don't understand that it you know you have to really already in high school start becoming a professional at your craft mm. in order to do the stuff that you want to do. But I, I chose to get into this because it's like my last school is it's not many black male educators anymore. Mm -hmm. And I felt that this would be an area, especially with me having four sons, that I can be, I can have the most impact in their lives. Now, that's awesome to hear, man. That's great stuff. Real Absolutely. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Well, again, we appreciate it. Anytime you want to come on the show, just let us know. We'd love to have you back. Hey, after we pop a big school, I'm coming on the show. I promise to be, I promise to be sober. I promise to be sober. <laughs> Deal. That is right. good stuff, man. It was very brutally uh refreshingly honest good stuff man i really appreciate you coming on the podcast i mean you're more than welcome and that'll do it for episode 84 of tiger talk with the 1400 club thank you to all of our listeners and again be sure to subscribe to the podcast apple podcast listeners rate and review the show and everyone go follow tiger talk with the 1400 club on facebook and tiger talk 1400 on twitter i can't stress the importance of this enough we're looking to do some big things with this platform to aid the athletics department. And it all starts with you downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. And tell every tiger that you know. We're on all podcast outlets. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and so on. And we'll be posting each episode on our Facebook and Twitter pages. As always, thank you for your support. Go Tigers. Hashtag I believe. Hashtag the I love. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.